Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. This is coming to you live from the African wilderness. Got a couple days left. Had some really good luck so far with sightings. Spent some time last night with the Pride of Nine Lion. Walked straight past our vehicle after effectively being stuck in a roadblock. We could touch them if we wanted to. Obviously wouldn't, but there's nothing quite as humbling and awe-inspiring as being in the presence of such magnificent beasts. So if you've never been to Africa, you ever keen on a safari, I'm your guy. Get in touch. I can help make it happen. I'll point you in the right direction because it's a once-in-a-lifetime, unforgettable experience that I think everyone who can should try and do at least once. Anyway, let's talk Bitcoin. Today's episode is with Mr. Jake Woodhouse. Now, Jake is a friend of mine that used to run a pod called Bitcoin with Jake. He's also a co-MC at Bitcoin Alive. And he's also the guy that challenged me to start a podcast. And I did. And so I'll always be grateful for Jake and pushing me and basically giving me the kick in the ass I needed to do something in the Bitcoin space. So I brought Jake back on to talk about content creation, Nostra, all sorts of stuff happening in the Bitcoin space. But we also chatted a fair bit about real estate. And I think you'll be interested to hear his take and his story because I think a lot of Bitcoin is poo-poo the idea of actually owning your own property. Um, there's no solutions, there's only trade-offs, and I think it'd be quite interesting to hear his story. Either way, I hope you enjoy the show, and that's enough from me. I'll be back in all soon. Cheers, friends. Which one's the best crypto asset? Well, Bitcoin's the best crypto asset. Okay. What's the second best? There is no second best. There is no second best crypto asset. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Why Bitcoin Show. I'm your host, Dale Warburton. It's a weekly podcast on why Bitcoin matters and what makes it completely different to all other cryptocurrencies. If you're interested in Bitcoin and you'd like to distill crypto fact from fiction, you've come to the right place. Recording in progress. It's on. It's on. Okay. Welcome Bingo. for round two there, Mr. Jake Woodhouse. Thank you very much for having me on, Dale. Well, okay. Let's just get this one out the gates. I must tell you that you have changed my life for the good. And I will always, always be super grateful for you because I remember your Murray Randy presentation very well. You were... Beachworth, brother. Beachworth. Oh my God. There we go. The one time I went to Victoria, <laughs> I tried to scrub it from my brain, uh, respectfully. And I remember that presentation very well, evidently not the town. And... um you know, you shared all your data and your, your goal was there to try and inspire one person to start a podcast. And at that point, I was thinking, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I want to contribute more. Writing felt like inefficient. And at some point, like, I just thought, I'm going to have a chat to this dude. And long story short, you issued a challenge and my life's changed. And it was probably the best thing that happened in 2023. We did a a year in reflection at the foreshore here shortly after New Year's. And I said, that was a highlight. It ranked right up there and it's life-changing. And I'm like, I'm on a mission now. I've got a proof of concept. Some people care to listen to what I say remarkably. And I'll be so grateful for you kicking me the ass, man. So thanks so much. Uh, always appreciate you. Well, Dale, I, I hear you. I hear you. Thank you. It's, it's also something I wanted to say at the start of this podcast episode was it's been a real pleasure watching your progress over the last, it's not even 12 months since, so Beachwork was March of 2023. And for those listening that obviously weren't there or didn't see 
my presentation I put up on my YouTube at the time, Bitcoin with Jake, it, it was a, essentially a 30 minute backdoor insight into like how to produce, publish and promote content. And my aim was to, you know, inspire one person. And there was this South African fella at the same conference, essentially, who got up and just did this mega pitch on how fucking scammy shitcoiners are and shitcoin media. <laughs> and I was like, that guy's a legend. Definitely need to chat to him. And then before you know it, it's like, you know, Saturday night in the pub. And he comes up to me and starts gnawing my ear off about podcasts. I'm like, come on, this is the guy. You did it. You're going to do it. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's just really fucking awesome watching people progress, improve, take on a challenge. And um, no, I wanted to begin as a, as a guest on your show for the second time. I think I was episode number two and whatever episode you're at now. 39. Congratulations. It's really yeah. fantastic to see. And uh, I did 80 episodes on Bitcoin with Jake over a year or so. And I, I got so much value out of it. So to anyone else out there that is thinking about, you know, I should create a podcast, but there's too many podcasts. My personal view is that if you think of the phrase being your own bank as one of the most crucial steps in the Bitcoin journey, like, oh my God, you can be your own bank. What does that mean? Well, I've kind of bastardized that comment. And I like the phrase being your own brand. And what that entails is essentially creating content and you can write a newsletter you can host podcasts, you can create different types of social media content, all incredibly easily. And look, to begin with, no one's listening. But they're, they're like digital breadcrumbs. You know, you think of Hansel and Gretel and that little story or mm. it's like a an antenna. And you're just like, a, you're just beaming out boom, 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 this stuff. And initially, no one listens, because no one knows who you are and why they should listen. But given enough time and the different networks that you invite as guests that then they cross promote your podcast for having them on. You, you just build up this really interesting wave of energy that it's incredibly valuable. So yeah, awesome to see your progress, Dale. And to anyone out there that's listening or watching and thinking about, you know, taking the plunge, get in touch. I'm happy to do what I did with Dale, which is like a kind of 30 day crash course. I just set him a challenge. Like, look, episode number one, it's got to be out within 30 days. And there was a whole lot of things that were pretty easy to do, but had to be done in order to get you there. And you did it. And that was the, that was the impetus and the, the kick up the ass that you needed. Um, and really I've done nothing. I've done nothing since other than just, you know, watch with pleasure from a distance. Yeah. Um, but that's what no, so good times there. Well done, mate. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And honestly, that that's what is needed often. And in many ways, the hard yards have already been run in the sense that now there is a proof of concept it actually there are people that remarkably listen each week and mm -hmm. i always was concerned like who's gonna listen what do i have to say that's unique but it's just amazing how it's evolved and it's it's genuinely life-changing and it's um mm -hmm. it's it's initially one has to overcome a lot of self-criticism self-doubt you know who am i can i actually contribute to this space um there's so many incredibly bright people what do i have to say but over time you start to realize there's room for everyone there's so we're mm. so early there's so many voices that that can be heard there's so many different people that can be touched and what a what a journey man anyway so i didn't want to beat that drum too hard but i think yeah you know, for anyone who's on the fence like 
just go for it and uh yeah, yeah get, get in touch with in. Jake or get in touch with myself and we're more than happy yeah. to show you on the way. And, and that's just one way you can contribute to, to Bitcoin. Yeah, so Jake, um, we had a couple of topics that I thought would be really interesting for us to touch on. When I think of, I think of you uh, within the Bitcoin space, tell us a little bit about your journey over the last, let's say, three, four months. I've noticed you're, you were on Instagram for a little while. Then uh, you migrated away from Twitter for a period. I think it was over Christmas uh, and you've been dabbling with Nostra. I'd be really keen to understand what are the different sort of audiences that you're finding in the Bitcoin world on these different platforms. And because uh, most of us just go to Twitter and we think that's pretty much where it is. The main thing that I'm trying to work on is uh, what do I want? So we love Bitcoin. Why do we love Bitcoin? Because it, and it's just a phenomenal investment for all of the reasons that people will have mentioned on your show, the Why Bitcoin show. And it, it, it really just, it forces you to ask the question, why do I own what I own in relation to other assets you could potentially invest into? And equally, what do you do with your time? Bitcoin is amazing because it's scarce, arguably the scarcest thing that man's ever been able to own. But what's more scarce is one's time. Mm. And that is the most valuable thing we possess. And so what do I want to do with my time? Now, I'm also in a very fortunate position where I have built a, a net wealth that was initially from a, an investment, uh, from an inheritance. My father died uh, 15 years ago now. Shout oh. out to dad up top. And I, I've made a ton of mistakes as an investor, but I mean, Bitcoin is, it's shit hot and we're on. Like the next 18 months, if we double, spectacular investment. Yeah. If we triple, if we, if we 5X, I mean, this risk reward is off the charts good. And at this point today, when I look at my burn rate as a family of four, there are a number of things I'd like to own, including a family home. Um, you know, really asking this fundamental question, what do I want? So after Bitcoin, I think the most important thing I could own is a family home somewhere. So owning equity and a piece of real estate, that means that I have to deal with leasing houses, et cetera. And that's okay, I'll, I'll figure that out. But I, I if I didn't, if I converted everything to cash today, I'd have, you know, at least a five, if not eight year runway before my money ran out. So I, I'm in a very fortunate position where I can really sit down and think, well, what does delayed gratification mean to me? I'm willing to spend some of that money for me to not have to work in a contract for someone else. And therefore, it's very, very important to me that I spend my time doing something that's really very valuable long term. And, and this is the beauty of Bitcoin, right? It, it, it changes everything. Like no longer am I a kind of frantic investor thinking about like what's, what's the way of beating inflation, like solve, right? Fuck inflation. We're dealing with that by exiting the old, moving into the new, great capital growth, very low risk, highly liquid. And so what do I do with my time? And I've, I've been drawn to a number of different things. First of all, like done a lot of meditation. That taught me so much, like trying to really tap into like, what is my highest form of intelligence? And mm. shout out to a guy called Sam Akathero, who's an anonymous Bitcoiner you may have come across, who I've been doing uh, weekly coaching calls with Sam, doing deep meditation with him. That's brought up all sorts of cool stuff. Epic. And so, so yeah, let, let me try and answer the question in a very long answer, Dale. Thank you for your patience. What does Jake want? What does he want to do with his time? I don't know the answer yet, but I did a test. And so just before Christmas, I guess if I could summarize, so Twitter's been my 
my main driver of social media focus. I've got like 8,000 followers on my personal profile. I've built up the Bitcoin with Jake one a bit. If I really hammer it, I can, I can generate at least a million impressions in a couple of weeks with tweets. So I can get a lot of attention and I can monetize that different ways. And the, the podcast content across YouTube and RSS feeds over the years, I've probably generated a few hundred thousand views. So I, I can do that, but do I really want to do that again? And is that really the right way forwards for me now? And so I deleted Twitter off my phone. I deleted Instagram off my phone. I deleted Facebook off my phone and left only some of the different uh, Nostra clients. And so, you know, some of the very influential people in my life, at least in terms of thinking, like Jeff Booth, what an unbelievable guy. And you read his book, The Price of Tomorrow, and you can get him on a podcast. And he's been on a couple of my podcasts and you can listen to him on other podcasts. And he said to me specifically, he's like, Jake, Nosta is what YouTube was five to eight years ago in terms of like community building. And so in the last two weeks, my anxiety levels have reduced. I've got more time in my day. And that's where I think the future of content creation is. So I'll, I'll stop talking at that stage because wow. there's a lot of stuff to digest. There's a, there's um, a couple of things. I, I would be like, when you talk about like really focusing on YouTube, I don't disagree that there's an opportunity to create attention using a tool like YouTube. But if you really had enough time and space to sit down and think about it, which is what I'm trying to do, it's Google. And Google are going to cancel the shit out of you the second they feel like it. Yeah. So you're building, you're building a business. It's like using a fiat currency. You know, when you're buying Bitcoin and self-custodying Bitcoin, you're building your wealth on on foundations that you can measure. And when you're doing that on on Twitter or Instagram, you know, you're basically Muskie's like pet project, and the Zuck will, you know, he'll he'll just ratio the shit out of you if he feels like it. So mm -hmm. the point being is that like, are these really the, the digital frontier that I want to be playing in? from a long-term perspective, and I'm not so sure. Whereas when you get onto Nostra and you start thinking, okay, well, what would it look like? Like I've just posted a few things. I've been sent a few zaps. That's like a genuine micro payment of Bitcoin. Bearer asset, no middleman, can't be stopped. Could you get rid of the advertising model from media? And what would that mean if you could? And then it's like, okay, well, how do you host your content for Nostra native posts? And so, you know, you could use YouTube, right, for video uh, hosting, but you could also use Anchor on the back end of Spotify or iTunes or whatever other RSS feed you decide to use. Mm. But they could be switched off if someone chose to. And so what, it, what would it look like to build like the Nostra version of Anchor so people could host their own content, access through private keys, which they could never have switched off and monetize it using micropayments? So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy wild west out that's there, and uh, there's lots to go through. Yeah, that's a fascinating sort of take. I mean, I suppose you've touched on several things. Let's start with the, the last thing you touched on, then Nostra. Mm. I was listening today to a pod, and Matt Adele was talking about it and saying it feels like Bitcoin did in the early days, and mm. it's it's a bit rough and ready. It's like it's obviously very small. It's a very small group of people that are on there mm. you know the ux and the ui is not exactly compelling but once we get into version five six seven eight nine ten eventually it'll just be so intuitive and simple that people will start adopting it 
I have not spent the time there, but I think what you say is extremely valid. And it's something that I've thought a lot about. And it's like, today, where are the eyeballs? They're definitely on these Silicon Valley-based uh, social media companies, whether it's the YouTubes and, mm -hmm. the, and, the, and, the, and the Twitters mm -hmm. of the world. The attack vectors, the risks are obvious. All it could take is a shift in policy. We don't do any Bitcoin content. Boom, your business is dead. Mm -hmm. You don't have a business. Mm -hmm. So... I've often thought, okay, well, you're producing the content. The content's always going to be yours. It's the distribution of that that makes you, it's worth distributing it in a diversified way. This is where diversification mm. might actually be a good idea. So I'm thinking that Musk is going to not necessarily toe the line relative to the Instagrams and the Googles. So I think maybe that, that could be a little bit of differentiation. But the ultimate is, of course, Nostra. Mm. And then that brings in the whole concept of zaps and value for value as you describe. And there's some, there's a fellow um, who runs a, a podcast uh, called Near Mortals. And, um, you know, he was at, at the Brisbane meetup describing how, like, literally, this is how he lives. Like, people listen to his pod, they stream him Bitcoin, and he sells the Bitcoin to fund his life. And mm. he's mm. actually gotten the pod to that point. And I, you know, I look at Fountain and you know, I've got 70 odd thousand sets, you know, mm. I don't know. I don't know what the dollar value of that is, but that's over eight mm. months. So I'm like, it's not working for me and maybe I'm not doing enough promotion, <laughs> but <laughs> so, you know, in that sense, like, I feel like you're directionally very right. Mm. The future does lie with these other platforms the, the like the Nostas, I guess that the immediate challenge that someone in my position has is like, I, I want to move now. I want to, mm. I want to switch from fiat money into this. How does one do that quickly? We have had discussions, I believe you and I, about real estate within a portfolio. And despite me actually having been in the game of real estate for like a decade, having a master's in property, I think it's the worst investment as an investment. But as a home, mm. I feel like it's a totally different kettle of fish, you know, you went. You did something that I thought was incredibly brave and ballsy, but it comes with some downsides. So, talk us through that journey that you went through. At you know where you had a bunch of properties, I believe, in London at some point, and then you had a property in Victoria in Melbourne, and then you've liquidated your entire real estate portfolio and shifted into Bitcoin. Yeah, tell us about that story because I I don't think a lot of Bitcoiners give enough credence to the idea of owning your own home i think they poo poo it a little bit too much yeah wow i'm smirking because i'm like i could i could kind of like just sound bite the last statement there and just say that is financial advice i <laughs> sell all of your real estate <laughs> yeah um so i guess i could wind the clock back a bit so in my mid-20s i received an inheritance after my father died and the reason i got that inheritance was because we had some real estate so it was a beautiful property in the south of the uk that had been in the family for, I would have been the fourth generation to own it as the eldest son came to the difficult decision, but like no doubt still the right one, which was we couldn't afford to stay there. And I didn't want my mother who was only 48 at the time. My father was 48 when he died, like having to live in his tomb, like that just didn't make sense to me. So we decided to sell. There was a, I mean, like all families, there was lots of opinions about what should or shouldn't have happened and money, you know, makes all sorts of people do weird things. But ultimately, I ended up as a, a mid-20-year-old and I got given some money. And you're like, what the hell do I do with this stuff? And 
I put 50% of it into real estate and I put 50% of it into a, into a wealth manager in central London. And hands down, the worst investment I've ever made was in real estate. Which so year was to, this, Jake? Uh, when did you first sort of get into that space? I bought I bought two flats in London in 2014, mm-hmm. and I sold them both in 2022, and I made a loss of the equity position of some. I I don't know the exact number because I fucked up the mortgage at some point, but over 50 percent of the equity gone. Yeah, horror show. And we're talking like, you know, six figure number. It's it's horrible. So in 2021, 2022, you're sitting there and you're, you're basically like any investor. I had overvalued shit on my balance sheet. And I was I was completely unaware until I went to get liquidity for it. And so real estate is illiquid. Doesn't matter what people tell you, it is only worth what someone will pay for it. So you can get as many valuations as you like. You can mark to market if you like. But when the day comes that actually you don't want it and the market's not there, market's not there. So I, I made the mistake of, of leveraging up, doing refurbishment work on properties that didn't substantially increase the value of those bits of real estate. And then the market went against me. So I bought one flat in West London that was i mean the average square meter price in 2021 2022 was already something like 15 to 20 percent under 2014. so so much like when people say you know you shouldn't leverage up on your crypto like because if if it's like anything the trend is your friend if the bull market kicks in you're, you're fine but if it goes against you and you're and you're in debt things you know don't look so nice so i i had a very difficult decision to make which was either you hold and you think you might get maybe 10% next year and you kind of like inch your way out of the hole that you're in or you go, okay, I'm selling and I'm buying Bitcoin. And so I, I did that. That's exactly what I did. So the, the flats that I had in the UK, I, I eventually found buyers. One of them also, there was a horrible, horrible story where a ex-council block in Notting Hill caught fire. So the Grenfell Tower uh, incident, that was, I don't know how long ago now, in the last five years, awful families like jumping from the 60th floor. Mm. It was terrible. Yeah, I remember that. The reason it caught fire was some some stuff called cladding attached to the side of the building. And so all across London, there was all these flats or blocks of flats that had cladding on them. And if you had cladding on your block, you had to get it replaced. And if you had to get it replaced, then it meant that there was no way of a of people getting new mortgages. So I owned a flat in a block that was covered in cladding that, you know, there's 400 flats in there or something. And I, I basically, I took a big haircut to get out of that position because like, I'm not waiting around for the government to, and I saw some of the emails between the, the managing agent for the block and the flat owners. And they were like, you know, they had thousands of pounds that they had to come up with. It's like, well, guys, we're not going to, no, we, we don't have the money to pay for this. So What's the moral of the story there? One, market went against me. Two, yeah. taking on debt is not the no-brainer that people will make out. Three, you're buying a physical thing that has all sorts of things that can go wrong with it. Now, it's a long story. I won't go into my other flat and the drama that I had there with some shared costs that I had to pay and all the rest of it. But those are the flats. So I, I sold them. And it, it's simple. The opportunity cost is, okay, the equity position is down today versus cost. If I don't sell, what could that equity position be in two years, five years, and 10 years owning Bitcoin? 
and, and you're looking at like a magnitude difference. It's like, yeah. well, it's a no brainer, right? Once you've, once you've got that convinced, same old story, the more you know, the more you buy. It's like, this is dumb. I own the worst. I, I don't want this stuff. I want this other thing. And then so here in, here in Australia, so we bought a property in a suburb of Melbourne in 2019. I arrived and old Danny Andrews, that was actually one of the highlights of us for 2023 is that prick disappearing. Oh, that was um, a huge highlight. Yeah. Oh, I God. Know. He was a fuck. I hated him. Oh, the, God. Hated we him, hit the man. lockdown. So we had we had a really nice three-bed uh, property that had been renovated recently. Our first daughter, Ruby, was born at home. We've had two home births now. And basically, we got cabin fever. And we were living in a neighborhood with some some neighbors that just, it wasn't it wasn't right for us long term. So the sell to my wife was we can go and rent a nicer property in a nicer area and we invest half of it in Bitcoin and then we can live off the other half and happy days. And that investment thesis is, so the, the equity position is two and a half X up in Bitcoin. So that's a good start, right? The, did the you, problem, so where though, did you make that trade? So you bought in 2019. So so we the auction for the property was in Feb of 22. So we sold then. Okay. And the settlement date was July. So we then did a DCA July, August 2022. And the real oh. estate in the UK that I sold, I eventually got liquidity in october november so i was buying october november 2022 and also i did some buying for my family investment trust in jan feb of 2023 so when celsius was cratering when ftx was cratering i was just <laughs> buying as much bitcoin Lucky as i could ah oh, it was just awesome awesome everyone's looking the other way thinks this thing's this thing's dead and gone and i'm like this is the best thing ever the, the 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 difficult thing, and I must share this, and as you touched on, like Bitcoin is poo-poo family homes. I owned a piece of real estate that I could have lived in for longer had I chosen to. But because of the lockdown kind of hangover, because of the neighbors issue, it wasn't right for us long term. So I'm still okay with that decision. But we've now lived in one, two, three, four, five properties as a family, young family, since what is July of 2022. Sure. And right now, I'm in between 12-month rentals in Melbourne. We're in our third Airbnb of the Christmas period. In fact, on the 27th of December, I found myself with two cars packed full of shit, with two kids and a wife and no home. And that was definitely, definitely two of the hardest days of my marriage today. So sure. it is it's not easy. So that the, sure, Bitcoin's flying. But as my wife says, you cannot live in a Bitcoin. Hmm. And she's quite right. She's spot um, She's quite right. But I still maintain that for us to get the property that we really want to live in, in the area that we want to live in, that was that was the way to do it. And like ironically, everyone's like, oh, you're taking so much risk. What are you doing? Loading up on Bitcoin, selling all this other stuff. But I have less debt now, like arguably almost zero debt. And I, I think the risk reward is far better this way around. Totally. So yeah, it's 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 like I don't know. We make we make plans and plans don't come as we expect, and then you have to you know rejig. So pivot. Yeah, we'll see where we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's such a good story uh, and a, and a kind of welcome reminder to the realities of life and how you just, as your wife says, uh, you just can't live in a Bitcoin and. Um, 
you know, I can relate very much so in the sense that we moved uh, seven times in five years, moved interstates twice, and it's exhausting having to deal with agents, uh, not knowing whether or not the next year you're going to be able to stay. Typically, the best homes for rent are the ones that are owners who are just renting it out for a year. The investment mm. properties I find tend to just be kind of your bog standard, very typical properties. Whereas we always said, look, we're home bodies. We love being at home. We want to, we want something lovely. And that typically meant renting somebody's property who was going to come back. And so literally that's happened to us like four times in Australia, mm. you know, and it was exhausting, man. And I kept on, you know, pushing, I guess, what you were saying in the sense of like, look, if we can just hang on, we can get a much better property wherever you want. We just, mm. we, we've made the allocation. We just need time. And then the market did what it did in 22. And I was like, oh, fuck Sam Bankman Freed. You've totally destroyed my plans. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, as things, as things transpire, but I can just say generally from my perspective that I would say your primary residence is a lifestyle asset and it shouldn't even be a consideration when you evaluating your overall portfolio. And as hard as it is for us Bitcoiners to part with corn for the purpose of a deposit, however big or small that might be, I think that the lifestyle benefits are so significant. Mm -hmm. And the real trade-off that you've got to make is saying, look, you obviously don't want to go, you don't want to over leverage. And that means you've got to sell more Bitcoin. It's a bit of a fine art trying to strike a balance. And at the same time, all of us have partners who are not necessarily as bullish as we are and as confident mm. as we are. But I think that your thesis is going to work out absolutely beautifully if 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 I if I think what happens, if I think what's going so to happen for yeah. 24 months. And the real pain that you've endured will in the rearview mirror appear as it was all worth it and part of the journey. But as you're experiencing it, it's bloody awful, isn't it? It's it's really hard. And that's a great point. So um, shout out to Mark Moss. So Mark's been a coach of mine the last couple of months as well. I, I didn't mention him so far on the call. Mm. And um, he, he teaches that one's family home is not part of your investable assets. And funny enough, no one had taught me that. So yes, I've been managing an inheritance for now you know, 10 years, 10 years plus you're making this shit up as you go, right? You don't have a dad any longer. You don't have a teacher. Yeah. You've got books, you've got YouTube videos, you've got, you know, advisors and agents and whatever else, but everyone's packing their own bags, not necessarily yours. And no one takes long-term responsibility for the decisions you make. So it's, it's, you've got to be careful out there. Right. Yeah. And so one of my big lessons from this experience is that the family home is not an investable asset in terms of your portfolio. Now, the difficulty is, of course, that, you know, ironically, I sold a family home 15 years ago. And here I am now with two kids and a wife and in need of a family home. And it's like, ah, oh, did I really mean to do that? Yeah. And I still believe it's the right decision to have made. But as you say, rearview mirror will come back. But that was the right call. But, but it's hard, you know, and I, I also see this is the way of the world at the moment, like shit rental properties costing thousands of dollars a week they haven't had money spent on them for like 15 years 20 years some of these things and they want two grand a week for a four-bed house in, in base the right area i mean that's it yeah and that's you're like you're like, and you're like i refuse to pay you that 
Yeah. Like this is insane. But even, you know, uh, my mother-in-law is looking for a, a smaller unit at the moment. And she's seeing like, you know, some cases like 30, 40 groups turn up at one viewing for a rental property. And so the, the world is going mad. And this is fiat currency sending everyone crazy. Where the denominators, it's crumbling in value all around us. But most people haven't really understood that there's a problem with the money. Mm. And they're just like, oh, you know, and, and especially with like the the urban inner city suburbs of, of Melbourne, where there's like good schools and there's good family networks and people have this like prestigious thing they're trying to buy into. I, I speak to dads in playgrounds like all the time about this. I'm like, but where's everyone getting their money from? And it, we're all fucking renting in areas we prefer to buy in. And the properties are getting more and more expensive. And it's like, well, how does this make any sense? And so for me, Bitcoin was one of the vehicles that could actually get me back into a space where I could be a potential buyer. And I didn't, I don't see anything else that would potentially do that. Now, of course, you can make more speculative investments if you so choose in the rest of the, the scam that is the rest of crypto or equally you know, any other area of, of particular edge you might have as an investor but it's it's a wild time at the moment like how, how people are keeping their heads above water i do not understand and how the australian property market is not half the price it actually is right now i do not understand like how does debt triple and prices don't really do anything that's mad it's not a free market that's how it's a completely manipulated market and it's a political market it's a mm. it's a protected category of investment that will never be allowed to fail because mm. 80% of australians wealth is tied up in their primary residence and so can you imagine the shitstorm that would be kicked up if you're the politician who says look we need to make housing actually affordable and not through some pitiful you're going to give 5,000 people a first-time home buyer's grant or something like that. Those are just yeah. putting little plasters over it. Like there's, a, there's like a gaping wound with maggots infested in, 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 a, you know, in a soldier's leg. Maybe he's got no legs now. And they're just coming around with a little Band-Aid trying to fix it. And it's a chronically broken market. And it's mm. Bitcoin, as far as I can tell, is the only non-speculative investment that will enable people to get on the property ladder if they so choose failing which i think you're dead for the for the most part between 2020 and 2023 that's when it all went to shit as far as i'm concerned because i used to look at australian property and go 850 buys me something magic 800 is now the median home in brisbane and that's not even in a nice area with a nice, it's a nice home. Like where we live, it's, it literally ranges from ancient shit boxes, which will need to be totally demolished and built up. And those are 750 up to one and a half, two on the foreshore. So you're like, who's buying this stuff? And, you know, especially as young people, it doesn't surprise me that they're turning to things like socialism and other sorts mm. of, ridiculous ideologies when the system's just not working for them and you know the 10th largest bank in australia is the bank of mom and dad because the boomers have got a stunning ride they're riding a monster equity position but um for the poor millennials and zoomers and whatever generations come later like i really worry for them and it's yeah it, it's a it's a very strange one because everything i learned at uni about efficient markets and how 
property cycles work, booms and busts because of the delay. The reason why property goes through pretty significant booms and busts that are predictable in theory is because by the time there's a lot of demand that's evident in the market, developers are now starting to get approvals and there's a long lag period between all that stock coming on and then suddenly it all comes on and then there's excess stock and then it brings you know, downward pressure on prices and, and so the cycle goes and then there's not enough property and then you know then you start seeing the prices rise again and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't happen here. It's a straight. It just keeps going up. It's kind of little dips in here and there, but man, I could rant about it all day, but I think your point earlier is just spot on. Like in the absence of Bitcoin, I don't have another bet. And yes, there are other things out there. You could go and chase Boink coin or Mickey Mouse coin and hope for a thousand X, but- Some garbage, yeah. Yeah, on an asymmetric level, and I don't think Bitcoin is speculation at this point. There's nothing else. So when I think of your move there, Jake, I think it was brave. And I think your wife uh, deserves a medal um, when she gets out. Yeah, she does. Other end of shout this. out to Lozzie. And yeah. uh, shout out to my wife as well, because she's also had to put up with this. Trust me, babe, this is yeah, going to work. Jules. <laughs> I, I, just one like final point, I guess, is I, I'm not a trader. I'm not looking for speculative kind of overnight success here and there. And right now I'm mid-trade of a kind of two to three year play, which is, okay, I, I mean, I was so pissed off the 2021 bull run was as poor as it was, like 69K, are you kidding me, right? I thought it'd be like double that, right, at least. And it didn't happen. But ironically, the bear market after that was so much lower than I ever thought it would go again, like sub 20 grand, like, whoa, US dollars, right? In the yeah. back end, Q4 of 2022, brilliant. So ironically, I was able to accumulate more Bitcoin than I ever expected to because of that lack of true blow off top on the previous bull market. And I'm currently mid trade. And that is I sell these other assets, load up on Bitcoin, ride that fucker for the next three to four years. And I'm looking because my wife's like, what's the price going to be? And I'm like, well, look, you can't it's like stop answering a question with more questions. And so uh, my price targets are 150,000 Aussie dollar a coin, August of 2025. So my feeling is that no one knows the price and the time. Like you're an idiot if you think you do. But that's that's roughly what I put in place. In particular, it's the timeline. So you know you can look at the rational route and his and uh, his work. And shout out to my close friend Jigs as well, who's an excellent technical analyst. And there's just so many useful tools like checkmate as well like some great stuff you can mm. run through so like when the market's getting up when it's getting down what's a good time to get in what's a good time to get out and so generally speaking i'm looking at that kind of august next year to take some crust off the table and hopefully it'll be like you know it depends how high we've gone right you just don't know so dca out over a two to three month period maybe and some of that will go towards a family home without a doubt but it just depends how much and where we want to be and all that kind of stuff but I'm feeling the, the back end of, don't worry, babe, we'll sell the house and we'll rent. Thinking that renting was like totally chilled. Renting is not totally chilled. And that that's, I guess, the, the summary is I'm, I'm mid-trade. I'm not changing the strategy. We'll carry on. We'll ride it out. We'll see what happens. I do. I still, I still believe Bitcoin is the fastest horse in the race with the least risk. And therefore, everyone wants to get as much of it as they possibly can. What they choose to do with their, their increase in purchasing power depends on them. 
But a good place to put your money other than Bitcoin is, of course, a primary residence to, you know, live in, to enjoy life, to have your kids, to be safe. And um, that'll be my, you know, that's my primary objective yeah. as it stands in terms of reallocation. Yeah, yeah, shout out to my wife. What a fucking legend. I know these these uh these ladies who uh and gents in some cases, although uh judging on numbers that I've seen from Anita Posh and others, like you know, still 75, 80% of um mm. you know audiences tend to be male and we're the ones who tend to be the ones talking incessantly about Bitcoin. So mm. I give so much credit to my wife for all the support and uh you know she came <laughs> One of my favorite moments was, I think, What's I the price gonna be? episode three <laughs> with JP. She listened uh-huh. on the way back from like a sewing class or something. And, and she was like, baby, I'm so proud of you. I'm a Bitcoiner now. And I was just like, that was one of the best moments I've ever had. And I was just like, <laughs> it was like I thought it's not to say I didn't believe you, but I just, I'm, I really get it now. And I'm like, oh my gosh. This is yeah, JP's brilliant at explaining Bitcoin, actually. Yeah, and I and he just had what a some cool guy. magic, magic rants. Shout but out to yeah, JP. I, I think you know what? I, I actually am surprised by your price prediction because I think that is pretty bearish. And I yeah, I, I and, and I think I think that if if you've kind of sort of positioned expectations within the domestic setting at 150 mm-hmm. by August 25. I think that you're gonna you're gonna come out looking like an absolute genius because truthfully, like I'm expecting that like quite a lot sooner, much sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we got there in 2024, August 24. You know, mm-hmm. there is talk of now. I mean, let's talk about these ETFs because I've got an episode coming out next week uh, with British Huddle, mm-hmm. and just like. Some of the numbers that people are throwing out, the inflows, the money multiplier. I mean, like, is that not fe- like factoring into your your equation? It makes you think like there could literally be a stampede, like an omega candle, mm. as Samson Mao talks about. I mean, is that sort of, or is this like you just kind of trying to figure out, I want to make sure that I'm putting something very, like something that I think is really achievable. You know what I mean? Like it, you don't want to set expectations to the roof. Are you just trying to watch your own, temper your expectations there? Yeah. So I guess the wider point I'll make here is, you know, the the investing journey it can be very lonely at times. And I couldn't encourage anyone out there more to find people that they really value for skills that you don't necessarily have. And unlike school, when they're like, oh, you can't copy their essay, like investing, you can right? You can take someone else's thesis because you can see what they own. And the best question is ask a man what he owns, not what he thinks. And through that, you can you can just garner so much great signal in all of the noise. But again, shout out to my friend Jiggs. And we speak closely on these, these kind of things. And his technical analysis is something I've grown to really, really value. And it's his influence largely that has helped me come to that conclusion in terms of a price target yeah and he he just hit me once with the phrase of like i would just much prefer to completely outperform my price target and be happy than have a ridiculous target that underperformed me pissed off and you're like fair call and when you when you start to study markets you, you can see that they behave irrationally at times i agree because it's human emotion but also 
it's kind of predictable. So, you know, if I wind the clock back to 2020 and there was people like Dan Held publishing pieces that were like, the super cycle is coming. Mm. Cool. We got a 69 grand. Well done, Dan. The institutions are coming. Raul Powell. And it's not these statements are incorrect. They're just, they're just noise, right? So what is the signal? Well, the signal is hash rate. Look at the hash rate. Fucking banging. All right. This thing is not, it, it is defended better than anything else you can imagine. Mm. Uh, user growth. Fucking flying. All right. And where? Well, it's happening in places where the financial services are poor. People don't even have bank accounts in a vast majority of the world. And they're just jumping on Bitcoin like it's the best thing ever. Why? Because there is no other alternative and it works. And so those kind of things, I think, are far, far more interesting, like going to Bitcoin, Indonesian Bitcoin conference in Bali. Shout out to Dia and the team there. So I was mm -hmm. MC at that event back in October. And you've got all these communities from across Southeast Asia, the Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia coming together in, in Indonesia and talking about why Bitcoin is important to these people. And it's like that is signal. And so as much as like, you know, YouTube will love you for talking about ETFs and talking about a billion dollar Bitcoin. But this is actually, it really gets into the meat of like, who is Jake and what does Jake want to work on? And I don't want to work on clickbaity bullshit, right? What's important? Freedom of money. That is very, very important. What's important? Freedom of speech. So Instagram will give you freedom of speech, but it won't give you freedom of reach, right? You can say all day long that central banking is bad for everyone, but no one's going to view your fucking Instagram mm. uh, profile, right? Because mm. they'll, they'll just ratio you. You're gone. So, you know, yes, let's get bullish as hell because the user growth metrics are fantastic. The hash rate is fantastic. You go and meet people on the ground. They love Bitcoin. Like it's zealots, right? We're all crazy for this thing. So where could the price go? The price could go anywhere. We don't know. But I'm very confident that with a very scarce asset and lots of money floating around that needs a home, when this thing starts to pick up pace, of course, we're going to see some outrageous days. But one of the reasons I've got the price target and the timeline is anything that happens in between now and then, whatever, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it's not going to stop me. I'm just going to sit and watch and see what happens. So we'll see, right? Yeah. The multiplier effect, really interesting concept. I love that. And the idea that like price is set at the margin and you look at like how much Bitcoin hasn't moved in the last 12 months or the last 18 months or the last 24 months, like holders are holding Bitcoin. They understand this thing is scarce. And then you look at how much Bitcoin's on exchanges and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're thinking like at some point, this thing's got to pump. And then you look at like the main problem, which is of course, central banking itself. And I mean, this is some analysis I did recently. Bitcoin forces you to ask the question, why do I own what I own? And this is a purely investment perspective question, not to get confused with owning a family home, what's investable assets, like definitely you want to separate those out, but your investable assets, why do I own what I own? And uh, my family business in the UK is a beer and pub company. It's 240 mm. years old. I'm the eighth generation to be involved or as a shareholder in the company, incredible history. Since 2011 in the UK, according to the analysis I did this week, there are 40% more pounds in the system. Now, that statistic I get to by calculating 
data from the Office of National Statistics on something called M4. Mm -hmm. So you'll see M1 and M2 quite regularly reported by the Federal Reserve in the state. So it's relatively easy to calculate like what's the base money and what's the broad money supply and therefore how many dollars are in the system now versus before. And like Parker Lewis is as good as anyone at explaining that situation. So go and check out his work if you haven't seen it before. Uh, but in the UK, the Bank of England stopped reporting this stuff back in 2006. Mm. Why is that, right? You're trying to find how many pounds exist. But I don't know how many pounds exist, then it makes no difference at all how an equity is performed, right? So my, um, my family business, it's still private, so I can't reveal the results specifically. But let's just say the capital growth position was circa 15% from 2011 to 2023. The amount of pounds in the system is 40% more. So in theory, I've lost 24% of my purchasing power by owning that equity. Wow. That's fucking bad. Wild way to think of it, eh? The denominators. Right? Like, yeah. And so, so, so what does that mean? It's like, well, when people wake up, they're going to be selling the stuff they own because it doesn't make sense to keep it. But this is the nefarious nature of modern monetary theory where everyone thinks they're getting rich, but they're not. We're all getting poorer slowly but surely. And what was fascinating about the increase in pounds over time was the impact of compounding. You could see in 2020, it shot up by like 12, 15% more pounds in the system. But otherwise it was like 2%, 3.5%, You know, it didn't change too much. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so, so in terms of like ETFs, to me, ETFs, it's, you know, oh, the super cycle's coming. Oh, the institutions are coming. Yes, it, it effectively opens up Bitcoin as a potential portfolio asset to a number of people that either don't want to work out what self-custody is or are regulated out of it. So that's good from a demand perspective. But, you know, next cycle, it's going to be like, oh, you know, America, the, the, the government's stacking Bitcoin. I mean, there, there'll be something else that people are kind of attached to as a, a big yeah. deal from the demands perspective. But to keep the fundamentals, yeah, user growth, hash rate, and then the problem that we face, which is how do you store value over time when you're getting obliterated everywhere? Okay. It's so interesting you say that because I actually dabbled in a bit of Nostra today and um, I saw something that um, Lynn said and she said, uh, I always call her like by her first name as if she knows who I am, Lynn Alden. <laughs> she will one day. <laughs> That's the plan. And um, Lynn was saying like, whenever somebody asks her about uh, the ETFs, she goes, meh. I'm more interested in what's happening on a community level. And that's something that she's been talking a lot about, like, and she specifically mentioned the um, conference in Indonesia and all the mm. circular economies that are happening around the world that are springing up. And initially there mm. were only a handful and now we're seeing it sort of growing quite exponentially. So she said like, you know, yes, the institutional narrative is one thing and it's interesting and it will lead to price go up and all that jazz, but she's, in it as much for i think freedom go up and the people i guess who need it the most um you know while you were telling your story about the you know buying your house and oh i don't know what to do with this and then selling mm. it and all this i had this like little smirk on my face and i'm just thinking of people that i know in this exact position and i've got my besties um own an investment property that they don't even call a property they just call it an airbnb in the heart of Cape Town CBD in this uh, messy mm. street where all the kids get wrecked. And, you know, awesome. they, they <laughs> <laughs> I know. So it's a pretty narrow sort of um, base of people who would be interested potentially in purchasing it. But 
the 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 idea here is that it it lost a lot of equity and then they you, you said something like and this is going back a little while now in a discussion where it's like how do i inch my way out of this and mm. you know you're looking at your family business and going well yeah okay it's grown 15 percent of the last since 2011 but look what's happened to money supply what i try to relay is think about okay think about a okay you might have taken a bit of a haircut on your property when you sell it and this is the south african property mm. so but think about the loss of purchasing power in US dollars because it continues to melt. You know, the exchange rate continues to deteriorate. I've been here five and a bit years and the South African Rand is 20%, 25 and maybe 25% weaker relative to the mm. Aussie dollar during this period. And so that's just a long-term trend that happens. So internationally, you're getting poorer every single year that you own an investment property in South Africa. Um, mm. So don't even worry about the the nominal capital growth you're getting, then worry about all the rands that are being printed, then worry about all the dollars that are being printed, and then start thinking yeah. about the opportunity cost of just taking a little baby haircut and smash it into Bitcoin. So that's what I'm hoping to do when I see them now when I go back, because I'm like, honestly, this could be a ticket, but it goes back to what you were saying again there, Jake. It's like, yeah, you know, knowing what you own and why you own it. Um, mm. I think very few people are... I'm just going to switch the light on down. Yeah, yeah, no worries. You can't really see me, can you? Oh, don't worry. Keep it going. We're good. There we go. All right. Now All I can right. see your beautiful shaved head. Do I now look like I've got? There we is go. Weird, like down. Now you look like a proper on. convict. I can see a little light there. Like there's wisdom, additional wisdom flowing. Go this way, whatever. <laughs> there we go. Doesn't oh, matter, yeah. does it? It's all good, man. Yeah, no. This the new skinhead. Oh, new year, new me. A new year. Sorry, Dale. Just a, your your last point. So any investment anyone owns, they can do a nominal analysis on the performance of that investment. So what's been the capital growth or lack of what's been the yield or lack of now, whether it's a, an equity, whether it's a bond, whether it's a, uh, a real estate investment, doesn't matter, right? Do your nominal analysis. The next step is don't stop there. You've got to do the real. So what is the money supply change in the duration of your analysis? If you don't take that step, you can't possibly understand if you're actually protecting capital or not. And the third, almost more important, is if, I mean, the pound, this is not quite the, the case, but most of the world is, is really run by the US dollar. So it's like you have to do your initial nominal investment analysis, then you've got to do your real investment analysis based on your local currency, and you've got to do a third one, which is then you know, international FX rates. Mm. And so how much has the RAND depreciated versus the US dollar? Yeah. So, and it's, if you haven't done all of that analysis, you're not actually looking at, the true capital return. And so the scary thing is, and, and I'll go back to my family business. So what happens there with a 240 year old business? You go to them and say, guys, in the last decade or so, we've lost 25% of the value of this business. Well, no, we haven't. Well, no, we haven't. You know, like it's, it's, it's clear as day, right? And it's terrifying. And in some ways, like I'm having to really be very careful because it's highly emotional, but I have to sell them. That's the result, right? Am I an investor or am I not? And if I'm an investor, then this is not a business. This is actually some kind of social enterprise that's slowly losing the capital position. Why? Because central banking is nefarious as fuck. And the world is essentially is disintegrating around us because of the money. Or you try and persuade them to become a Bitcoin company. I was going to go maybe, there. I was going to go there. I was yeah. going to say like, you could, you, could, become, you could. You could become the sort of, um, you know, 
Bitcoin Bedford, but the beer company of Bitcoin <laughs> yeah. in the UK. Badger Beer. Badger Beer is the name of the brand. There we it's go. It's an awesome company. So much, so much heritage, so much history, but no one's asking these questions down. And, and it's very confronting when you do ask them because people are like, what are you talking about? And the answers that you get are, they're not easy answers. It's not an easy answer to go, oh, I'm going to sell my company after 240 years of my ancestors building it. Like, sure. You, you can't do that. No. Well, maybe you, you have to. I, I don't know. Like, no one's paying attention anyway, right? And as a minority shareholder, like, what can I do to influence the decision-making of the business? I don't know. But it's, it's, it, that, that highlights nicely. Well, I, I actually think that, in, in theory, a pub business could be a sat-stacking machine. So this is a cool concept. I wrote some stuff last year about this. Uh, I call it Bitcoin is Pizza or pizza is Bitcoin. Shout out to my friend, Michael, who is a restaurateur and he was running a, a, a brilliant pizzeria in here in Melbourne and like just delicious pizza, great vibe. He was the manager. Him and his now fiance have got some investment and they've started their own restaurant like a few doors down. I haven't yet been. I have every intention to go when I can. But like, how does Michael scale? Well, traditionally, it's like get a second venue. Okay, well, how do you make sure the vibe is top-notch if you can't be in two places at once? How do you make sure every pizza is great quality when you can't be in two places at once? How do you be the front of house in two places when you can't be there you know, at the same time? You can't. So really excellent business operators, they're incentivized traditionally to scale up with additional physical locations and to replicate the, the back end of the business somewhere else which works to some extent, but when have you ever been to a chain of restaurants that are just as good as the other one? Right? And I'm talking like actually good, not going to McDonald's that's like a, a factory yeah. of garbage. No, it's And, and the same applies with us as a, a beer and pub company. So we started making cider for the British army in 1777. Can you believe that? This guy called Charles wow. Hall. And his granddaughter married a Woodhouse. So the company's called Hall and Woodhouse. And over the years, like if you're a good brewer, the way to market was through a pub so we started owning and running pubs and at one stage we had almost 250 pubs across the south of the uk now that's shrunk back down to somewhere like i think maybe 175 or something that we currently own and manage some of them are freehold some of them are leased some of them are on a different mm -hmm. type of tenancy uh, but the point is is scale was achieved through additional locations and that was how you made more profit now that bitcoin exists how does that change things well, you could sell loads of great pizza and with the operating profits, you could buy Bitcoin. And what's the risk reward of Bitcoin versus another pizzeria? No brainer, right? Mm. Bitcoin all day long. Same applies to someone who's great at making beer or someone who's great at like delivering a pub lunch or someone who's great at haircuts or someone who's great at running a cafe or you name it, right? In my view, what is going to happen is people now have access to startup like returns which is the returns of Bitcoin over the five to 10 years ahead of us at a risk that is lower than opening a second location of whatever their expertise may be, a florist, for example. So why couldn't it be the case that local neighborhoods get revitalized and people spend their time doing what they really love and building products that they, that's what they do, right? You get artisans, they're absolute specialists at what they do and their excess labor gets stored in bitcoin now in some ways what's happened to me is 
I'm a few years ahead of most people in this sense. I've been able to take an inheritance, so stored energy from a previous generation, mm-hmm. and I've pumped it into Bitcoin, which I now have a better a better view or a more confident view on the future. So I'm thinking, what do I do with my time? Do I really want to like chase views on YouTube to get yeah. cancelled? Like, is that really what I want to do? And like, say that Bitcoin's going to a billion dollars, like for 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 growth. Is that? I mean, maybe, maybe. Where's this ramp going? The point is, is I think Bitcoin will help to liberate people to a more localized economy. And we'll get less like scaled crap that just isn't very good at scaling and isn't great at quality control, et cetera. So yeah, great subject. I don't know if any of that resonates with no, you. No, it does. It does. Because, you know, I think there are going to be people who have an edge and they know how to build and scale things that are have locations. Like, you know, I, I think automatically to like, you know, like a retailer who's expanding their presence whether it's a pet retailer or you know whatever it might be they that they know their business they like if it was a coles here in you know in australia or whatnot they know how they've got a growth plan they know how to roll out stores they've got specialists across the board they've had many learning lessons for a new guy a new a person who's got a single location should i take the should i take a punt and open up a second location or store any of my operating profits beyond distributions into Bitcoin. It's such a no-brainer to me, just from a quality of life perspective too, as well, right? I mean, think about not only the risk, the execution risk of a small business now trying to grow. And your time. And then it's your time. And I mean, anything that involves people is going to be incredibly hard. And with respect, the vast majority of people, especially in those roles tend to be transient and have no vested interest in the well-being of your company long-term. So you're constantly sourcing people, retraining them. I mean, to give you an example, my dad's involved in some private equity stuff and one of which is a a pet business. And they have a staff turnover about 40% per annum in retail. So, you know, and they're a good operator. They're really slick operator. And so that just means is that constantly, like literally training people, is one of the three or four things that they have to do that's fundamental to the success of the business, failing which they literally are just bleeding staff and they can't grow. So yeah, I think there's an interesting opportunity there. The The missing piece of the puzzle though, Jake, to me is obviously knowledge and conviction because for you and I sitting here, who've done the thousands of hours that we have, we're looking at that and going, why would you bother with a South African investment property when you can own Bitcoin? Why would you bother doing, why would you own an investment property in Australia? Why would you bother trying to expand your little pizza shop into a new location and then worry about staff and execution? Mm. Just buy Bitcoin. But the reality is they're not there. They're not there. Mm. And there's no shortcut from what I can tell. Like you can show people, yes, over any four-year period, Bitcoin has enjoyed 100% returns at the very least over any four-year period. Just pick the two dates. But- Mm. I mean, that's just one piece, but you need to do the time. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's one of the more challenging aspects I have with Bitcoin in the sense that we have almost an asymmetry of information in the sense that we've dedicated thousands of hours to this thing. So it enables us to take what others perceive as a highly risky speculative bet. And for us going like, actually, this is the opposite of risky. This is this is low risk because I can actually trust this thing and it works and not only are the returns phenomenal, I actually understand this thing and how it works and its incentives. And it's a beautiful machine. And the more you attack it, the stronger it gets. 
and look at all these metrics, it's stronger than ever. So yeah, that, therein lies the key challenge. And maybe that goes back to the original point of we need more podcasts because, you know, yeah. I don't necessarily resonate with everyone. You probably didn't. And, you know, not everyone's going to want to listen to Stefan Levera or Matt O'Dell. We, we, there's, there's plenty of different voices that are going to reach the pizza guy, the florist, the, the everyday yeah. mom and dad business, or just the average employee who no longer needs to think. I mean, here's something that I think is huge. And, and maybe you can give me your thoughts on this is super. Like a lot of people talk about, you know, here in Australia, like so many people, I, I call them the living dead. They kind of go to a job they don't enjoy and they get their sort of 20 days worth of leave and mm. they enjoy their Barbies on the weekend and watch the footy and, you know, drink shitloads of beer. And, Slavery. Yeah. You know, it's just like, like fiat slaves really. And you're not living your dream. You're living somebody else's dream. You're not designing a life. But there's a sort of like hypothetical reward in the end. And you've entrusted 11% of your stored energy, as it stands today, that's the contribution for super, to these third parties. You don't know what's in it. You don't have a clue. And not only are they like performing poorly, they're actually making horrific bets. And I, I think that the massive opportunity for young people in Australia is even if you've got a little pitiful SMS, a uh, pitiful little super to convert that into Bitcoin, I think that is probably one of the single most powerful things you can do in your life. If you want to give yourself that ability when you're older to sort of literally strip that worry away. Because I think all it takes is maybe like, if you can get yourself to half a Bitcoin and you're in your early 20s, you're working. My God, man, I think you'll be golden by the time the government allows you to retire in your 70s yeah. yeah the super one's interesting isn't it i have a self-managed super for a very small amount of income that i earned over 18 months in a job in my last shipbreaking company that i worked for but that that's for a lot of people that's the only pool of capital they have and yeah i mean i completely agree with you essentially I, I've, I've spoken i've got a little coaching program i was running at the back end of last year in a guy that was part of that you can do it in the uk so it's part of your pension scheme there in the states yeah. it's the same so for a lot of people they're not investors, right? They don't really have anything to invest. And their their pension pot is the only pool of capital that they have. And so figuring out how to get that into Bitcoin is really key. And I, I know of people that are doing it all over the place, right? You can do it here in Australia, you can do it in the UK, you can do it in the States. And, and in some ways, it's a loophole that I don't think the governments quite understand what it means. Heck. You can literally, you can self-custody Bitcoin in a pension which means that if the if the government was insolvent tomorrow and actually didn't print more money and did actually go bust, you could still walk away with your value. Whereas anyone that had anything in the super industry would just be gone, just vaporware overnight. They could just and take super a ones, The government could do. Yeah, gov I, mean, I think the government could do. Uh, I mean, they'll come for the super industry so soon, right? I mean, they're going to say we want just cash cow for them. Yeah, we want to do, and they're already hinting at it. We want to. We want to. We want to transition Australia to, you know, net zero by X date. We need to make all mm. these investments, even though all the investments today, it's heavily subsidized, have failed to achieve the targets that they want. We're now going to suck all the value from people's time. And well, guess what? You're not going to suck any value from our SMSFs. Yeah, you can't get it off me, mate. Yeah. No. So I, I think it's an, an enormously powerful tool. And the interesting thing is that in some countries like in South Africa, you're not even allowed to invest more than 25% of your pension in offshore assets. So they have to be 
locally domiciled. So your future is imprisoned within this jurisdiction and there are prescribed limitations. You have to have a certain amount of bonds. You can have a certain amount of equities. And so, wow. and, and it's all it's like, you know, yeah. And, and, and I mean, it's typical socialist bullshit because they know the capital flight is just going to be real. I mean, who's going to stick the money in the local exchange, but mm. I see all these things coming to the West in time, but it's like a slow motion car, car wreck. And I reckon, I reckon they're going to close the loophole. I, I think it's a loophole. I think it's a hack. I think it's ill thought of because I don't think, mm. I, you know, it's one thing saying, yes, you can cuss your own gold or, or art, but I don't think people quite understand how literally I can send this thing. I could send a billion dollars mm -hmm. across in 10 minutes. No, they don't get it. Definitely no. not. So, yeah, so Dale, there was, there was actually something you, you reminded me of that I'd like to touch back on if that's okay. No, yeah, go um, for it. We were talking about like, you touched on again, this concept of like more podcasts and you know, another, another thing that I've been trying to figure out is, you know, not to bash YouTube for, for, for getting likes and views. Like it ultimately doesn't matter how you get attention, really. If you can monetize it in a sensible way and you enjoy doing it and it doesn't burn you out, then happy days, right? The more sovereign you can be with your day-to-day -day life, the better. So everyone can make whatever decisions they want in that sense. But the one of the biggest things for me is not being in a fiat contract for employment that is like getting my own time back and not yeah. being on 20 days of the year. And I'm, you know, I'm basically very lucky to be in that situation. But one thing that I'm concerned with by Nostra is it, it is so early and yes, it's fun deleting apps and all the rest of it. And yes, it's fun to really try and take a low time preference view. And like, what does delayed gratification look like? What does a media business of the future without advertising look like? These are really fascinating questions to start asking. But what does it mean if, as, as content creators, we withdraw from the marketplace of ideas? And the marketplace of ideas is Twitter, is Instagram, is TikTok, is YouTube. Like that's really where the bulk of the attention is. And I, I don't know what the right answer is. Don't get me wrong. I, I think of like historical context being, you know, the coffee shops of Amsterdam and London and, and, and writers and artists getting together and, and, you know, getting high on drugs 200 years ago. And that was like their little, that was their little place where they got together and some of the, the literature that came out of that or, you know, the, the different spice routes and the Silk Roads and all of these little trading hubs and like yeah. people, people, they communicate and they congregate in their little corner of wherever the world might be based on their interests and their passions and their, their, their expertise. And so in some ways, that's what Nostra is, right? It's like, I actually heard Preston Pish describe it as the resistance recently, mm. which made me think of like Star Wars, but it's people that believe in freedom of money, aka Bitcoin, and it's people that believe in freedom of speech. And they're there already. So if you go and choose to engage in that community, you're, you're straight away, you're part of it. And that's awesome. But how do you get more people over there? And in the same case of Bitcoin, like how does the, the guy who's excellent at running a pizza joint have the time to figure out what Bitcoin is and how he might have a better life from it? He well, needs one of the ways of doing tech. that is, is remaining in the marketplace of ideas. Mm. And, and that's why I encourage anyone that's out there that's thinking of, of standing up and, and having a part of this, this conversation publicly to do it because you immediately bring in your your network of family and friends. Like my family and friends will know that I'm into Bitcoin as a result of starting a podcast. Now, a lot of them stopped listening ages ago because they just didn't want to listen. And that's okay. And that's one of the things that you as content creators 
got to get over the fact that your family don't give a shit about it. And I don't mean that in, in, in like, oh my God, like, what does it mean if I say all this stuff? They're just not going to listen. Literally, they won't. No, they, they, no they're not listening. No, they're, they're don't, they, they do don't. not care. No, so like no. your friends and family immediate network is the lamest excuse to not start podcasting because they don't, they don't listen from my experience. Maybe one or two things here and there they might listen to, but it's individuals that step up within their own communities that have gone down this Bitcoin rabbit hole individually in private. They've made a reallocation. They're getting closer to it. As I mentioned before, the more you buy, the more you know. I'm going to start a podcast. Great. Dale and I could get you up and running in under 30 days. We'll be your first two guests and you can have 10 guests booked and you do one a week for the next 10 weeks and bang, you started a podcast. Well done. It is so easy to do should you choose to put some time and effort into it. And I think it's those it's those grassroots characters. They pull in their friends and family to an extent, but they'll also resonate digitally with different kinds of characters. Mm. And, and that I think is really magical. That's the key. That's the key. So everything you said makes sense there. And I, I uh, was seeing from the same hymn book because I came into Bitcoin partially through greed, but partially through fuck you. Because I started learning about CBDCs and all this kind of thing. And I was like, you're never going to tell me what to do with my money. And so it started like, it started from that position. And so people that know me know that I'm a freedom warrior. I call myself a lone wolf. I don't care. Everyone in the class today, after our gym session, after our boxing was doing all the stretching and everyone's doing compliance stuff. And I'm like, fuck it. I've got a podcast. <laughs> I'm leaving. And I don't care what you think about me. So like, I've always been this guy. And so at a deep philosophical level, like everything about Bitcoin just speaks to my body. Like I love it. And I hate the Silicon Valley companies in so many ways. Just, I think they're just such, they're, they're just cucks. They're mouthpieces for government. But I need them because I've got a message. I've got a goal. I've got ambition. And I'm not going to do that through Nasta. I'm only going to be speaking to Bitcoiners. And Bitcoiners are not going to make my dreams come true, like in a, in a real sense. They're, they're a tiny community. Frankly, they don't need to hear what I have to say. I'm not trying to persuade anyone to do anything. But I need people that are different. I need to bring mainstream people in. I want more people to understand Bitcoin. And they yeah. find Bitcoin on the platforms that have network effects. YouTube's not going away. Neither is Facebook. Neither is Instagram. They might not be as fashionable or cool for people like you and I because we go, they're totally censored. There was nothing that came out of those platforms during the pandemic that was true. Like I looked in and going, it's all bullshit. I have to look so deep in the internet for real information about this worldwide flu. So... I, sh I have such deep distrust of them. My kind of view is, you know what? I'm going to do my best to get on several platforms and I'll let the chips fall where they may. Mm. What will be, will be. If they want to pull the rug from under me, then say it'll be, boy. I've, I've just got to... Yeah, I'm gonna... yeah this, is just the, this is just the way it is because I need to go where people are. It's like I'm going fishing and I'm not going to go to this tiny little pond where I can get two or three. I want to get loads of people and yeah it just it just means that they, the you know the proprietor of the pond could just suck all the fish out and 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 drain the swamp and suddenly i'm a loser standing on the side yeah fair play and, and that's yeah. totally reasonable yeah. i um 
when I reflect, so I, it's not live any longer, but I had a website called bitcoinwithjake.com and I had a uh, had three sections to which you could listen, read and watch. And it's it's basically all of the content I've ever consumed in relation to Bitcoin that I found valuable. Mm. So it's, it's hundreds of hours of stuff that you can go through. And what you watch is largely YouTube. And what you listen to is largely Spotify. And those were the two platforms that I was using to consume that that information. So Bitcoin is freedom money. I was able to use two centralized digital monopolies to get the information I needed to understand it in a way that I needed to to make a large reallocation from traditional assets into Bitcoin. So it's kind of that thing, isn't it, where as entrepreneurs at, at the cutting edge of something new, figuring out problems and solutions all day long, you play the playing field that's there. And if we know that there's the potential for a rug pull, then that of course, like helps us to self-censor in some set, in some ways, but also like you just, because you're aware of the threat, you can kind of manage it in a sense. Um, But yeah, this is very much the kind of discussion I'm having with myself about like, because I think ultimately this comes back to life force and our attention. So where do you point your life force? And all of those social media platforms are dead tomorrow if no one put their life force into them. But they, they monetize your mm. attention. You are the product. I don't know anyone that feels good when they put Instagram down. Or equally, like how I find myself trawling through YouTube shorts at like 11 o'clock at night watching Roy, Clay, Roy Keane and Gary Neville talk about Premier League football. I mean, it's just like, why am I doing this? Yeah. But it's, it's the dopamine hit every time, right? Instagram Reels is the same thing. And so what what I think is interesting about what Nostra could do is because it's decentralized, because it can't be censored, because there aren't yet any algorithms, and because you have the freedom to choose which client you view the information through, the the user is in control again. And that's interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, you go back to like a Peter Thiel talking about zero to one. Nostra is a zero to one. So as entrepreneurs looking at like, well, how did Spotify get built? How did YouTube get built? In fact, when did Google start? And I think there are actually companies that are starting today in and around the Nostra ecosystem that will be the future of Google. Like we we do web browser searches today and you get all these different web links. You've got to search for the, the information yourself. Like how long is it going to be until you've got an AI bot for Bitcoin? You've got an AI bot for Nostra. You've got an AI bot for any topic in the world you could possibly imagine. You may have even trained it yourself. Mm. You need to search for anything. You just type into your AI, you know, what's the issuance schedule of Bitcoin? Poof, out it comes. What's the money supply increase of the British British pound? Out it comes. And so the way that the internet is built and is evolving is fascinating to me. And that's just, that's a whole, that's like a proper paradigm shift that, I don't know, I find it very compelling. So we'll see where it takes us. Yes. Um, and just a very fundamental concept that, so I had a friend, for example, works for, worked for Channel 9, one of the Aussie broadcasting companies, and he was part of the advertising team. One of his customers was Coles, for example, the supermarket. And he said to me, he said, oh, Jake, no, the news desk is independent from the ad desk. I was like, what do you mean? And he genuinely believed it at the time when he told me. It's like the news team is essentially, that's the eyeballs grabber, right? And that's paid for by advertising. So if they go and run a story that says that Coles has been underpaying their staff, i.e. a negative view of Coles, well, he's going to get a phone call from his guy at Coles. Like, Why in the hell is that on your channel? Yeah. And inevitably, 
they're self-censoring themselves, right? And so the, the, the media business model of, of create attention, sell adverts is flipped on its head when you get micropayments in Zaps on Nostra. So in the future, in the same way that Patreon works, but that's still on fiat rails, why couldn't it be the case that Dale Warburton runs the Why Bitcoin show and you get paid live in a bearer asset in Zaps for you know the content you create? Now, of course, difficulty is how much attention is there and how much value could you can create from that. Um, but when I come back to life force, it's like, okay, there's just so much stuff you can read about writing a good hook or or like what information we spoke about ETFs and like outrageously bullish Bitcoin price predictions. Mm. Like if you put so-and-so says, you know, $1 billion Bitcoin by a, a certain date, I can almost guarantee you get better result from YouTube than if you put Jake says, use Nostra. You know, like the, the, oh, the word I mean, changes course. things like the, the way that we create content is being we're, we're, we're optimizing for that. Right. We want to try and go viral on these platforms and subconsciously we start doing it. And so it's just like, what if we take a step back and there's this new model? Where does that take us? So, yeah, work in progress, Dale. But um, it's it's very so interesting to think through what it might mean. Yeah. Fascinating. And. There's no right answers, and I guess it's a moving target, and things are going to change quite dramatically. Mm. You make so many good points there with regards to Nostra, and I think you did mention to me that Jeff Booth had told you at the time that's where you should be spending your time and energy, so I am pleased to hear that. Yeah, I did an interview with Jeff. When was that? So I did a holiday to the Gold Coast, I'm going to say August last year, and that's yeah. when Jeff was really talking about Nostra. So like, let's say six months ago. Yeah, uh, but that, that's just one touch point. It's then more like what I've experienced by not having the social media apps on my phone. I mm. feel better. Mm. That's a change. Like I'm not, I was constantly on Twitter, like constantly, right? I mean, you'd like log in at all sorts of random times a day. And equally like, you know, when you, when you create content, you'd be like checking your YouTube studio to see what like results you've got you know, like, or whatever you might do, right? And it's, it's, it's still that, like, it's that, like, the dopamine hit, the anxiety, the, then the, like, feeling sad. Like, the, the, every emotional trigger's been hit in a short space of time by a mobile phone, like, 100 times a day, which used to happen, you know, once every two months as, you know, a saber-toothed tiger came into the camp. It's... So it's it's just very interesting to see how, wow. how like, and that's why I think it comes down to that fundamental thing of like one's life force. Like, do you know what I mean? If you point in a different way, it starts subconsciously manifesting into something slightly different mm. and you optimize for, like, cause you'd optimize for the zap. Instead of saying subscribe now, you'd be like, chuck us a zap. You know what I mean? Your content yeah. would change. Yeah. Anyway, totally. to your point, no doubt to really hammer it home. I think the status quo today in I made about ten thousand Aussie dollar in sponsorship contracts on B two B basis from Bitcoin with Jake over I think about six months. So shout out to Danny at Fast Bitcoins and Daniel at Hardblock sponsored me for a month, and also Mateo at Orange Pill app. You know those guys they supported me with some some sponsorship funds over over the life of Bitcoin with Jake. I think I made about twenty five bucks on Fountain. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> so you know, it's like, it's just reality, it's like what's, the, what's the point, right? What's the point putting it on fountain if that's if the goal is is revenue in that sense? This these are all the we, things that we're grappling with, and like you're so right about what I've come to realize, and it's it's led me to sort of question the kind of content that I produce because it's like people don't care about freedom, 
and that sort of thing. Like I have like Anita Posh was uh, a guest. If you yeah. compare what, you know, Anita's clout and the work that she's done relative to some other guests that I've had who are less unknown, they've had exponentially more views than Anita's mm. just by virtue of the contents, the topic. People are like not interested, not interested in freedom. Mm. People don't care. They want to know wow. how they can enrich themselves. And so anything that's got a number, like I learned this in shitcoin media. If you want to get people to click, you got to like, you got to trigger their fear and greed. You got to, if you got, you got to have like, you got to have a number in a headline. Uh, it's exactly the point. Any sort of headline that says this and this by that date works. And if you don't play that game, then you don't accrue the views. And I think there's a delicate balance that Bitcoiners are trying to reach within the space by being true to the ethos of Bitcoin by not being clickbaity YouTube tools um, because there's a mm -hmm. lot of them and at the same time producing content because you'll look at the absolute banging content that Swan puts out and it'll be like 10,000 views. And then there'll be some guy called Crypto Fuckface, whoever his name is, and he's got like 60K. And I'm like, who is this person? You're a non-person. You're like not serious. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, you got a big, like, <laughs> scary face. You know what I mean? Like one of those, like, the big Bitcoin sign. And I'm like, God damn it. I hate that stuff. So it is what yeah. it is. So I, I'm grappling with it right now because I'm sort of going, that is where people are. And I'm trying to be as true to form as I can. And at the, and, and I invariably end up trying to figure out, it, it steers the way my conversations goes. It steers the type of guests that I select because it's all driven mm -hmm. by the incentives. And um, yeah, uh, there's no solutions. There's only trade-offs here because um, if I were deeply principled, I would abandon all those platforms. I'd be all over Nostra and Fountain and I'd probably have a yeah, 50th of the audience. Yeah, well, nice one, Dale. Thank you very much, mate. Thank yeah, you for having me. Okay, that was cool, man. No, I really enjoyed it. And uh, Good to get back on a podcast. Welcome back to public life, Mr. Woodhouse. And Yeah, uh, sorry, guys. Yeah, I I, I had to um had to bunker down for a few months and uh yeah figure some stuff out. No, I think you're gonna come out stronger than the other end. I, I have all the confidence in the world, man. You've um you've got well, that another end. good phrase that I like is either you win or you learn mm. or lose. Yeah, totally. Is that Jocko Willick? Right, anyway, I'm gonna stop talking. I've got to go and this my my let my wife into the bedroom because it's, oh, it's, late, it, but... it's late now we'll tell like, her oh, mate, so 10 o'clock hello thanks right, very much. thank you very much mate Indulgent. i appreciate you having me on thank you oh no it's been really cool catching up man and uh we look forward to seeing you on stage at bitcoin alive yep that'll be end of march yeah awesome man and you I, I'll, I'll be i'll be on the side stage um yeah man managing managing uh on the... debut there we go, my debut show. <laughs> the rookie in the house, but very Don't fuck it up. I won't. <laughs> I'll try. Oh, God. Nah, All man, right, Mr. Woodhouse, thanks so much, man. It'll be easy. All right, take care, Dave. Yeah, man, take it easy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you got some value out of it. Either way, hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think. My handle is Dale21M. If you've got any suggestions as to people you think I should be talking to or topics I should address to, I would love that sort of feedback.
Otherwise, if you want to support the show, there's a couple different ways you can do that. The first is just to share it amongst your friends and family. The more that people hear the message that Bitcoin and crypto are not the same thing, the better. And I want to help people understand that. The second thing you can do is give me a five-star review on whichever podcast app you're using. Of course, that's only if I deserve it. And last but not least, if you want to stream Satsmoe via the Fountain app, I'm not going to say no, but it's not expected. Thank you so much for your support thus far. It means the world to me. I appreciate the hell out of you and the best is yet to come. Much love, friends. I'll see you on the other side.